This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Morning in America's Nick Smith, and I'm so happy you're joining me for this edition of In the Mix. Here at News Nation, we cover a lot of news, but there are always a few stories that land on my heart. Here is where I share those with you, as well as extra content that didn't make the cut during Morning in America. Welcome to In the Mix with Nick Smith. One of the stories that I did this week is something that I don't think many of us think about. Milk. Yeah, why would you think about it, right? As long as when you open that fridge, it's there for your coffee or your cereal, you're good to go, right? But what we found out doing a story this week is that processing plants in the Midwest have run out of capacity at a time when cows are making more milk than ever before. That's the problem. Cows are making the milk, but we have too much milk. So what's happening is farmers are needing to pour some of that milk out because the cows still have to be milked. So you can't ignore it, right? Uh, For instance, like the state of Wisconsin is the biggest cheese producer in the U.S. and 90% of its milk is made into cheese. Now that means it still needs to be processed, but the plants that process it are already full and can't take more milk. So farmers are put in the position where they literally have to just get rid of the milk that the cows are making so that things don't back up and become a mess. And this is a story that we talked about, learned a lot in this. You'll be surprised. They say don't cry over spilled milk. Well, people are crying over this one. Uh, This is a big deal. There's no shortage of milk in the U.S. these days. In fact, there's so much of it, farmers are being forced to dump it. So it's a supply and demand issue, but it just seems like there could be something done with this much dairy. Nick is here with details going down right now. Yeah, Adrian Murky, good morning. We all know the popular slogan, got milk. Now it's got too much milk, and it's a big problem for farmers across the country. The issue at hand is that milk is a daily commodity, whether there's a demand for it or not. The cows have to be milked. If a cow is not milked, it could cause bruising, sickness, and even death. Once the milk is collected, it must be transported to a dairy facility for processing. But now there's too much milk and is forcing farmers to dump the milk because the facilities can't keep up with the demand and have run out of space to store the milk. Also, processing plants are dealing with labor shortages, especially on the weekends, which means there's less production of milk products. In the upper Midwest, the demand for milk is down 20% this year. A Wisconsin-based dairy publication, The Milkweed, says that daily loss of sales in the region equals to about 25 semi-trailers of milk per day. Because the demand of milk is down, so are the prices. In June of 2022, milk was at $2.30 per gallon. Now the latest figures available from the USDA shows the price in April has dropped by more than 50 cents per gallon. There's a different type of milk used to make cheese. The price of that 
has also fallen over the past year. But get this, cheese production facilities can't take advantage of the cheaper milk prices because they don't have space to keep refrigerated products such as cheddar and mozzarella cheese. The last time American farmers were forced to dump milk like this in this much quantity was during the COVID-19 pandemic when schools and restaurants were shut down. During that time, the demand for milk took a huge hit, but eventually it was able to bounce back. Farmers are hoping that happens again. In the meantime, some Minnesota dairy farmers are downsizing Adrian and Markey by selling cows to try and balance out their oversupply issues. I'm mean, I just I'm trying to think somebody brilliant, somebody business savvy needs to think about a way. I mean, do we need to park a cow at every school in the country and like teach kids about farming and teach them? I mean, I just I'm thinking what 25 trailers. food banks, homeless shelters, all the immigrants that are coming into the country. Somebody will drink this milk. Yeah, 25 trailers is astounding. Every single day, um, Crazy Nick. Town. Thank you. Yeah, let's let's work on getting a farmer or, soon or, too. Or refrigeration. Like, can we talk to some refrigeration companies and have them donate the space so that we don't waste Make this? Make more fridges. Make yeah, some we'll ice see. cream out of it. I just found it really interesting to learn that most farmers are not able to process their own milk, so they literally rely on processing plants to make sure that their product actually gets to the market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There is something I think we're all guilty of. Mm-hmm. Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. Nick, what's that? What is doom scrolling? Well, doom scrolling is when we sit there on that iPhone or that iPad and we just keep moving through stories. Sometimes they're fun memes and funny jokes or TikTok videos. But more often than not, it turns out that people are consuming a lot of their news this way. Now, mind you, I work in the business, so I want you to consume news, but I also want you to do it in moderation. Because doom scrolling, doom scrolling, excuse me, can be a compulsive habit, and it turns out the researchers are saying that its effects on our mental and physical health are bad for us. And they came up with this uh, phrase "doom scrolling" um, because it's uh, they felt it was fairly self-explanatory, um, and it refers to that excessive scrolling through bad news on social media. Oh, I'm not thin enough if you're looking at those Instagram posts or you're looking at more stuff on the war in Ukraine or debt crisis, whatever it is. That bad news has a negative effect on your mental and physical health. Um, sometimes people call it doom surfing, um, but it is bad for us. Regardless of where you live, your own personality traits, you need to limit it. And I spoke to a medical expert about that. Welcome back to News Nation Prime. A deep dive into our scrolling habits. Let's do that. 
and how they might be affecting our minds and mental health. How may our digital world be overloading our brains with dopamine, that feel-good chemical? Well, Stanford professor Dr. Anna Lemke, author of Dopamine Nation and a renowned expert on addiction, joins us to shed light on social media's effects. Dr. Lemke, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Uh, talk to me about some of the things that we are constantly doing that you have concerns about. Well, the digital images that we consume on our digital devices are highly reinforcing. They work on the same neural circuitry as drugs and alcohol and sugar and other behaviors that we do repetitively and compulsively. So in effect, digital media, including social media, is a drug. Um, and we have to have a really healthy respect for anything that's a drug that we put into our brains, because what it means is that we are then vulnerable to becoming addicted to that medium. Dr. Lemke, am I dismissing it because I am one of those who each morning I video vlog, hey, good morning, I video myself jumping rope and I have other people that I interact with who, because they jump rope. Is that in itself an addiction? Absolutely not. So social media can be a wonderful way to make real and meaningful and positive human connections. But when we start to use it with a quantity and frequency that we actually change the reward pathways in our brain so that we're now engaging in it compulsively in an out of control way with consequences, even beyond our desire to be engaged, then we've tripped from recreational, healthy, moderate use into what is probably looking more like addictive use. Dr. Lemke, what has you most concerned, particularly when it comes to young people who I, I would argue, and, and I will ask you, you're the professional, are probably uh, among those who are most easily influenced? Well, the concern for young people is that their brains are at a crucial point in development. What happens in the teenage years is that we prune or cut back on the neurons that we're not using or myelinate and make more efficient the neural networks that we use most often. And this process of pruning continues until about age 25 when it's essentially done. That means adolescence is the time when we are creating the neurological scaffolding that will serve us for our entire adult lives. So it's really important that we develop healthy habits. And that means we learn how to have a relationship with the technology that is reinforcing positive leads to positive human connections but not a relationship with the technology that just is simply about chasing that next dopamine hit that gets us into that compulsive compulsive vortex that we think of as addiction dr lamke thank you so much for this because i will be cognizant of how much i time i spend on social media as a result dr lamke thank you so much That's for joining great. us yeah you're welcome so let's do our best to consume less bad news. My favorite story of the week, without question. Ah, oh, I actually got emotional doing the interview with this guy. Okay, I'll make this simple because the story just tells itself. My colleague, Rich McHugh, uh, did a, uh, a story on, uh, the, it's called The Miracle at Farsleben. Uh, Farsleben, of course, is in Germany, uh, and it was a train uh, carrying uh, more than 2,000 Jewish prisoners from one concentration camp to where uh, they were most likely about to be uh, exterminated, right? 
So, but the train had to stop. Now, this is back in 1945. The train had to stop. Well, at when the train had to stop because of bombing happening up ahead, uh, American forces, American Allied forces, were in the area. Okay, got it. We all know this happened. That's not the story. The story is a New York history professor was doing uh, research on those who had been in the war and some of their great stories. This guy is talking to an older guy who's telling his story and talks about being a service member, blah, 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 blah. He's like, Nick, I finished recording that story. thought the story was great. And I'm moving on, packing up my stuff. And then his daughter says to me, his daughter says to her father, Dad, did you tell him about the video that you have? And he's like, oh. And he, he says his ears perk up. What video? <laughs> this story is too good to be true. But it's true. Take a listen. Unearthed after 78 years, a silent film speaks a thousand words, capturing the powerful moments. U.S. troops rescued 2,500 Jewish prisoners from a Nazi death train in 1945. The footage was recently discovered and offers a glimpse into an all too important chapter of our history. News Nation correspondent Rich McHugh has more. The footage is silent, but it speaks volumes. And remarkably, in the past few days since this video has surfaced, some have scanned the faces in the footage and found their loved ones. That made me kind of jump back and say, wow, there's my mom. For the first time, we are seeing video of the moment U.S. troops saved thousands of Jews from a Nazi train. You see a little boy who looks well beyond his years. A woman exhausted, sleeping on the ground. Tattered clothes, gaunt faces, people frantically lining up next to the train, hoping for their chance at some food from U.S. forces who had just secured their freedom. Some are waving to the cameraman. Written on one of the train cars, three cheers for the U.S. It was April 1945, and while the Farslebin train rescue had been captured in pictures like this, a mother and daughter newly freed from their captors, this is the first time video of the incident has been found, uncovered after 78 years. The U.S. Army Signal Corps happened to have a photographer in the area and happened to film this. Mike Edwards is the director of A Train Near Magdeburg, a forthcoming film about the miraculous rescue. A death train that left Bergen-Belsen near the end of the war, having 2,500 passengers on it, and was liberated on April 13th, 1945, by the United States Army. 2,500 people is two and a half times the size of Schindler's List, and it was liberated in a single moment. Thousands of prisoners of the Nazi regime, Jews from all over war-torn Europe, suddenly realized they were free. Elizabeth Siemens saw her mother's face in the footage. It was just so surprising and so amazing to me and that I actually recognized my mother there. I had not expected that and it was just wonderful, really, really a wonderful surprise. For Seaman, it's a powerful surprise and an important reminder eight decades later. People do need to remember the atrocities that occurred there, not with any sense of vengeance or revenge or hatefulness or anything like that, but to do the best they can to relate well to others, people who are different from themselves, and to care about humanity one-on-one -on -one and encounter everyone with a sense of love and good expectations. Nazi trains, if you look at photographs of trains in the Holocaust, 
Most of them, if not all of them, lead to death. This one leads to life. For News Nation, Rich McHugh. Joining us now is the historian who unearthed this footage, Matthew Roselle. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us and sharing that footage with the world. It is impossible not to look at that and not get emotional. I can only imagine what it was like for her to see her mother um, after, after all these years, because she knew the story, and then to see this footage and, um, and identify her mother in the crowd, all because you took the time to restore uh, this. Matthew, just talk to me. What made you do this, Matthew? What made you uh, take the time to do this, and why did you feel the need to share it with the world? Well, hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, I was a high school history teacher in upstate New York. And for the second half of my career, 30-year career, I started an oral history project. So I sent my students into the community. We interviewed World War II veterans when they were still very plentiful and here with us. And in July 2001, I sat down with an 80-year-old retired New York State Supreme Court justice who had been a tank commander fighting after Normandy, after D-Day, through the Battle of the Bulge, and then finally up crossing the Rhine River into Nazi Germany. They were going 18 hours a day. So I sat down, we talked for two hours, and I was about to shut the camera off, and his daughter said, Dad, did you tell Mr. Ozell about that train? And he thought for a minute, he said, no, I didn't. And he said, it was a beautiful April day. Well, me and another tank, we were called out of the tank column April 13, 1945. We were on our way to fight a final battle at the city of Magdeburg, and we had these civilians in the way, and they were in distress. So he and another tank commander, the other tank commander had pictures. They actually liberated the train. So he told me the story. We put it on our school website. It sat there for four years, not much action, the pictures, the stories. And I heard from a grandmother in Australia who'd been a seven-year-old girl on the train. Oh, and after up, that, we heard from many more. Wow. Just because you put it out there and then said, wait a minute, I know that's me. And, and so it was like, a, it was literally like a, a unraveling of, 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 a, of a piece of cloth or something there. Yeah, it just went on and on. For the next 15 years, we heard from almost 300 survivors. Many of them were children. There were a lot of families on this train. And you can see from the photographs and now this footage, they were distressed. And these American GIs stepped up and they helped and they literally saved the day. Matthew, have you spoken with anyone in the video or their family members since you uncovered it? Um, and what have they told you directly? Well, we've actually went to Israel working on a film called The Train Near Magdeburg. It's based on my book. Um, and we interviewed 12 survivors. One of them is a very famous poet, Yaakov Barzillai. And he was astounded because he saw himself, his four-year-old sister, and his mother. And he started to cry. So we've heard from six people who have seen themselves or their family, including Elizabeth, who was just on, um, since the footage basically was put out about a week ago. Matthew, I love this. I think the last thing I saw was a piece uh, about that museum that they're gathering where people get to tell their stories. Uh, different survivors are telling their stories in, in AI and it, it locks in that audio. Why do you think it's important to take the time to find these lost pieces of history and gather it so that people can see it to the public? Well, as we know, sadly, uh, the rise in anti-Semitism, it never seems to go away. The only tool is education. And by finding this, this uh, newly found footage in the National Archives, three and a half minutes, you can see 
what our GIs went through being pushed and swarmed by starving people as they're trying to help them. Our guys are traumatized. So Americans need to know, they need to take pride in what these American soldiers did. They didn't have to stop, they didn't have to rescue, but they wound up healing the world. And by bringing these people together 70 plus years later, it's just an amazing story. We have a film that's coming out on ITV Studios next year, four-part miniseries, A Train Near Magdeburg. And it's it's going to tell this very powerful story that resonates with us today. We cannot forget. But first, we have to learn about the horrors of the Holocaust and what our American soldiers went through. Matthew, when you are ready to promote that movie, you have a space and an open invitation here at News Nation. When I tell you, I loved everything about this. Matthew, thank you so much. Where can, quickly, Matthew, where can we see it if we want to see this video in its entirety? You can go to teachinghistorymatters.com. That's my website blog. I've been keeping it for 15 years. And the colorized stills are there. The video is there. And please do. We want to hear from more soldiers Absolutely. and more families who see themselves in it. Matthew, thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. <sighs> Seriously, can you imagine? Oh, my God. I thought that was amazing. All because this guy had the video. This professor takes the time to restore that video. And more importantly, what he's done is he's restored that video. He has posted it up on his website. And we will include that here in the show notes because uh, People are still going back to that video, seeing people, recognizing family members, because you know family members told that story and passed it down. So you're going there and she's looking through that video and she's like, that's my mom. Oh, I lost it. I just thought that was fantastic. I can only imagine what it's like to see your family member who has told you this story, um, who literally were being transported to death's door. Uh, they were part of this whole liberation. Uh, from American Allied, by American Allied Forces. And this video up until that moment had been in black and white and kind of grainy. And this guy just takes the time as a passion project to restore this video. Oh, I just loved it. And I cannot wait to hear about more great stories that come from that. Ah, oh, that's what I wanted to talk about this week. That's it for In The Mix. And thank you so much. I hope to continue to find great stories just like this to continue to share with you. All right, talk to you guys later. Don't forget, you can always watch me and my Morning in America family on News Nation weekdays starting at 6 a.m. in the East, 5 a.m. Central. Don't know where to watch us? Go to www.joinnn.com. Enter your zip code and the channel finder will show you the broadcast channel we're on in your area. And remember, we're also on all the streamers, Hulu, Roku, and YouTube TV. This is Nick Smith. And thanks so much for joining me for this edition of In The Mix with Nick Smith.